Come on down, fifth grade and down. Good, there we go. Fifth grade and down, come on down here. It was a tie, yep. <laughs> good job, good job. How is everyone? Uh, yeah? Better. That's good. Red's won today, so you're good, right? All right, very good. Okay, so by a show of hands, how many of you have an older brother or sister? Both. Both, all right. All right, very good. Have your parents ever told you to watch your brother or sister something that they do or something they shouldn't do? Anybody ever? Yeah? Don't do what they did. All right, that kind of thing. All right, let me do the opposite now. How many of you are the oldest brother or sister? Graham, you're confused, buddy. <laughs> All right. And how many times, as the oldest, your mom and dad said, you need to do what's right, or you need to do what's good, because your brother and sister are watching you? Yeah? You've had that happen? Sure. All right. I, I had that happen, too. My sister was like six years, almost six years younger than me, and, you know, you have to set a good example. Now, what does being an example mean? Anybody want to give that a shot? Yeah, yeah, good. What being an example mean? Other people watch you to be good. That's pretty good. I like that. Anybody else? To be good. So let me ask you: Are there are there good examples? Yeah. Yeah. Can you be a bad example? Oh, yeah, yeah. You definitely could be a bad example, all right? Um, the great thing in life is that with examples, we don't always have to learn everything on our own. I don't have to learn that if I drop, ah, who knows, a bowling ball on my foot, it hurts, all right? I can see the example on YouTube of somebody dropping a bowling ball on their foot, right? You probably can find that on YouTube. Some, everything's on YouTube, all right? So that's why I should do this, or that's why I shouldn't do this. All right, let, 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 Jack, are you up there? Come on down here, Jack, real quick, bud. All right, Jack is on the Coleraine uh, golf team. How many of you have ever played putt-putt? You ever played putt-putt? You know what putt-putt is? Another good one. Yeah? All right. So putt-putt, when you play putt-putt, you never want to be first. I'm giving you a trick. You never want to be first because Jack's going to be first. All right? And because you want to be the guy that follows or doesn't follow the example of the other person. All right? Come on, Jack, let's see your skills. All right? Give me a hymnal here. All right, go stand over there, Jack. There's the hole. You can't go over the, you can't go over the hymnal. 
All right? So what are you going to do? Okay, was that a good example or a bad example? Yeah, that was bad, man. I don't know if Coleraine's going to do so well this year. Sorry, Jack. All right. Oliver, come here, buddy. Oliver, we are putting here, okay? We are not swinging. We're putting. All right. Don't follow Jack's example. All right, all right. Claire, come here. We're going to... The girls are going to... All right, you saw what both of them did. Bad examples. Let's see a good example. Not hard, not hard. Lighter, 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 lighter. All right, this is a losing game. All right, very good. Nope, no more stern. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack. Give Jack a hand. Thank you, teens. I appreciate it. So tonight, tonight, I say all of that because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, we're in 1 Corinthians, and in chapter 10, he gives the example of Israel, and he says, I want you to learn from things they did. Don't do that, all right? So that's the whole thing we're going to see here today. A lot of times in the Word of God, you hear about David, you hear about Joseph, you hear about all these characters in the Bible, Real people, and we're supposed to learn from them, okay? So that's what we're going to look at tonight. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Give the kids a hand. Thank you, Jack. And thank you, kids. For I was, I was ready for someone just to take a full swing. I was like, I've got to be very careful who I pick here for this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We find ourselves back in this series in clearing up the confusion, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and today we're going to learn from examples, learning from examples. Uh, We find ourselves in a very similar subject to two times ago when we were in chapter 8. Chapter 8 and chapter 10 are very similar. He he tackles it from a little different angle. So let's read uh, chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not have you... Ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, stalking of the Israelites, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed, followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples." To the intent, we should not lust after evil things as they also, they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us, let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, 
and they are written for our admonition unto whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. There hath been no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with, with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here once again and to open your word. We ask you to open our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us uh, where uh, these different messages may speak. And uh, we ask you to uh, be with our kids and help them to understand the examples from the Word of God as well. That this wouldn't be just something that are stories, but these are true accounts that we can learn and be wise uh, to understand and not follow where we should not follow and to follow where we should. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So tonight, as we look at this, we're going to get into what God has for us, and I think we're going to first see in verses 1 through 22, we only read through 16 there, 15, but we're going to, the first thing is to realize your limitations. As you get older, (laughs) that's a necessity, right? We just sort of, that naturally comes to us, but there is a good portion of our life where we have to just come to that understanding ourselves and realize your limitations. In chapters 8 and 9, Paul had been dealing with almost an arrogance on the part of some of the Christians in the church of Corinth. No, it was arrogance on on the part of them. They felt they had a right to do whatever they wanted to do with the new freedoms that they had found in their in their Christianity. So Paul uses the wilderness wanderings uh, to present three examples for them to realize their limitations. The first one we see in verses 1 through 4, and the example of testimony here. We have their example of testimony. The Corinthians were saved. They had come to know Christ. He had preached to them that many of them under his watch care had come to know Christ, and now he is writing back to them after hearing some different reports. They had experienced God's saving power. They were given spiritual gifts that we're going to be talking about in in future weeks. And all of them were on their way to heaven when they died. And so are we. If we know Christ is our Savior, that means that we have all of these things, same things. But does that mean that we won't fall into sin? I'm a Christian and I've sinned. You're a Christian, and I can guarantee, unless you were just saved about an hour ago, you've probably sinned in your life as well since that time. Israel was this redeemed group of people, redeemed by God when he brought them out of Egypt. And Paul now paints this comparison of Israel identifying, as they identified with Moses in the Red Sea, it mentions they're identifying with Moses in the Red Sea, their baptism is the term that is used there. And as the Corinthians, Corinthian Christians, they identified with Christ in their Christian baptism. So he's making this comparison, it's the, just as Israel was, so are you. We have both tasted of the spiritual food and drink of Christ that it mentions there. Yet in all of these, did Israel fail? Did Israel fall into sin? It would be a lot shorter books in the the Pentateuch if it wasn't. 
They sinned quite often, repeatedly. In fact, after being rebuked, they would go back to the same sin again and again. They sinned often while God was represented directly in front of them with the cloud uh, cloud during the day and the fire by night. Yet, and still without there, they still failed and fell uh, into sin. This is an overconfidence in their life. The overconfidence of God being with them, and they took that for granted, and it led them to sin. And as we consider our testimony, we must be careful. Because as you look at the example after example in the Word of God, the thing typically that is a person's greatest strength is often where they will fall. We see Moses, who is the meekest man in the Bible, yet what was his sin that did not allow him to go into the promised land? He, forego, he forewent that. I think I just made up a new word. but And uh, he struck the rock. The meekness was gone. He represented, uh, he took the glory away from God and was not allowed to go in there. The very strength that he had. And we consider our testimony, we have to be careful because in that strongest attribute, it can become a stumbling block, not to others, but a stumbling block to ourselves. A life that then has pride in a certain area or an overconfidence in ourselves in that area. And when that happens, we stop relying and looking to God. I've watched this in ministries as we've gone on in our church, and we have to be very careful about this. Uh, we do, uh, in, the, in the middle of summer, the second week of June, what does Friendship Baptist do every year? VBS. Every year, we do VBS. We know how to do VBS. We've done it many, many times. We know how to do backyard Bible clubs. And we can go into that with an overconfidence and a pride that we do it better than blah, blah, blah. Who knows who? And when we do that, we stop relying on God to direct us and to show us how to do it this year, though he might want us to move it or not to do it at all or, you know, whatever it might be. And that overconfidence takes God out of the equation and it changes the testimony of who we are. In chapter 10, Paul was warning them specifically in this chapter of their overconfidence could cause them to fall to a stronger enemy than themselves. We'll come back to that in a little bit. The example, though, of their testimony and comparing that to Israel. Then in verses 5 through 12, he gives the example of testing. Verse 5 says there that they were overthrown in the wilderness wandering around in this wilderness for 40 years, and they were overthrown in the wilderness. Israel had experienced all the miracles of God, all the great uh, plagues that brought them out with a high hand out of Egypt. He saw them, these folks saw the Red Sea open. Imagine that. Have you ever really considered that? They went across at night, God even protected them from not having to be spooked by what was going on. And uh, they went across, and as they went, then the Egyptians came in, and it started to break at the break of day, and they did see everything coming in and crashing down and took out their enemies. 
He took them across the, uh, the wilderness there to Sinai, and as that happened, they find water that can't be, uh, can't be had, and so uh, just cut down this branch and put it into the water and make this bitter water to where it's good to drink. On and on and on it goes. They don't have food, so he, he, he tells them to go out every morning on six days of the week and gather this, this little frost-type thing that's on the ground, and that's going to feed you. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out for 40 years. And Israel experienced these miracles of God. He guided them day and night, yet when tests came, they failed. Wearsby says it this way, balance, we need to balance experience with caution. Balance experience with caution. Testing is going to come and we must be diligent at every age. There might be, for our senior saints here, there might be a safeguard that you placed in your life some 30, 40, 50 years ago and you've let that slip a little bit. Because I'm past that age. That's not a temptation anymore. I would encourage you, if it's been in place that long, leave it. Leave those landmarks in your life. Because when that comes up, we are not showing the caution that we need to. We, are, we will let our guard down. And there are reasons that we should set up guardrails in our life. There are going to come some things in your life that you've not even quite thought about yet. And you need to set up a guardrail or a boundary or whatever you want to call it, a line in the sand, that before you get to that, you already say in your mind, I will not cross this. Because it's so much easier to cross something if you've never really considered it. Think about those things. What am I going to do? What am I going to stand for in the word of God? Let that line in the sand be there. Now, if there's a, an appropriate reason to move that because you've misinterpreted something in your life, that's a completely different thing. But there are plenty of known items in the Word of God where God's told us to do this and not to do this. And we need to set those guardrails, those lines in the sands that we refuse to cross because we set ourselves up for failure. And we, when you know your weaknesses and you know your strengths, Use those to your advantage. Set that line right now. Because few of us, you know this, few of us are willing, are able to stand when we're in the midst of a trial versus doing it ahead of time. And then Paul starts to list things. He starts to list, list the bad examples of Israel. He's got uh, six of them here. In verse 6, he says, they lusted after evil. This was possibly, we could, number, we could do a couple of them, but possibly this was Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, and they lusted after the flesh to eat, and they wanted the things that were down in Egypt. They weren't satisfied with what God was giving them every day of their life, and they didn't have to do anything but go out and gather the food that God hand-delivered almost to them. And yet they lusted after something they did not have, is coveting in their life. And the, one of the funniest stories in the Old Testament, in my opinion, God gives them quail to eat. He has that wind come up, and they say, you're going to eat quail till it comes out your nostrils. That is awesome. That's funny. That's, that is just funny stuff. And sure enough, that they just eat quail till they're sick of it. Then he says in verse 7, 
He says that the example of being idolaters. In Exodus chapter 32, the, uh, the worshiping of the golden calf where um, the debauchery that had happened there for some 40, day, uh, some 40 days while, while Moses was up on the mountainside. And just, it had just been 40 days and this, this already they've turned from God. It didn't mean that it happened for 40 days, but just for a sh- the short period of time, just a little over a month, and they've already given up on all that they just saw over in Egypt. And we look at our life and all the things that God has done our entire life, and one thing happens and we go searching after the things of the world. And he warns us not to be part of that. Verse 8, he talks about the fornication as they, speaking of Numbers chapter 25, when when Balaam had sent, uh, had given the instruction to the Moabites to send your ladies down there and to corrupt them. And sure enough, they fell into that. Verse 9, he talks about tempting God. The fiery serpents of Numbers 21, as he sent them, and they had to look and live at the brazen serpent that was put on the pole telling them not to tempt God. And then number, verse 10, well, you can find this anywhere uh, through the account, but the murmuring. We remember when they go up to Kadesh Barnea and the spies went into the land and when the spies came back out of the land, the, you know, the 10 of them said, no, 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 we can't go. Joshua and Caleb, yes, yes, we need to go. And they listened to, they listened to the 10. And then God tells them, well, don't go. You're going to have to, it's done. And then that next morning they go up and they go to try to go in anyway and they face this defeat and it says they murmured against Moses and against Aaron. They murmured against God's chosen man. They murmured against God in essence. God says time and time again, don't follow this example. Two chapters later, we get into chapter 16, and there we have Korah, and he's finally said, well, okay, these guys can't lead us, and he steps up, and he decides, I'm going to lead us back into Egypt. And the earth swallows him and his, those following him up whole into the, into the ground alive, and shoop, closes back up on them. And he tells us over and over and again, verse 11, now all these... Now, all these things happened unto them for samples or examples. And they are written, why? For our admonition. On whom the ends of the world are come. He's saying, listen up. Listen. Listen to the examples of the word of God. Why? Verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. If if you're arrogant, you think you're it. But I think it also happens to us here as we look in our own life that we lose sight of God working in our daily life. It's not just the super arrogant guy that thinks, ah, look at me, I can do all of this. It's also the Christian that sometimes we think we can handle this and we lose sight of what God is working in our life. The I've got this moments in our life. I've done that. I would say anyone that's been saved for very long has done that in their life. Uh, uh, Or the murmuring where... Uh, I, w- 
Why'd they do it that way? I would have done it this way. And the murmuring starts to continue on. Or, I, w- I wish I had what my neighbor just got. Man, that iPhone 15 is sharp. I wish I had that. And we start to lust after the things of this world. It was one thing for Israel to sin. Now, put this in context in where we are in the Word of God. It is one thing for Israel to have sinned. They were led by God. Moses was indwelled with the Holy Spirit most of the time of his life. The people were not. But you, me, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Our sin means that as we're, the Lord is with us, He is convicting us, He is guiding us, and yet we still fall into these sins. We need to be in God's Word. It is very hard to heed the examples of the Word of God if we never open the Word of God. Amen? It's true. You're only going to be here some, if you're here every week, 52 mornings, 52 evenings, whatever amount of Wednesdays you make it to. There's very few times in the Word of God. We need to be in personally in the Word of God. You need to have a time where you can look at the examples. So you're reading both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You're heeding the examples that God has placed there for us. We see then in verses 13 through 22 the example of temptation. We've seen the testimony and testing, and now we see the example of temptation. Verse 13 is the verse that if, if uh, you are a person that underlines or highlights in your Bible, this is a verse to underline in your Bible. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with te- the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. This is a promise of God. You can mark this, and right next to it, this is a promise from God. It's a promise, and, but it is a conditional promise. We talked about that a little bit on Wednesday night. A conditional promise here. We are all going to face temptation in life, right? All right. Hopefully more than one of you, right? This is true. We have all faced temptation in life. You probably will face temptation this week, Right? It's just, it's life around us. And we know from reading this that God allows these temptations to occur, to to come in our life. But with that, he knows where you need to grow and he knows how much you can handle. He will not allow above what you can handle. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, he says. That's the first part of the promise. That he's not going to allow you to be tempted above that you are able. The second part of the promise. But will, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So there's two parts of this. One, that you could be able to bear it. Second, that he's going to give you a way of escape. Now the conditional part is up to you. That's what makes it conditional. You must take advantage of the way of escape. You can bear, he's not going to, but 
He's making that way of escape, and you have to be the one that is willing to take that way of escape. The specific meaning for the, the, the actual context here of the Corinthians church was around idolatry. So he tells them in verse 15, flee adultery. Flee adultery here. There is a way of escape. Flee from it. Don't flirt with it. Get away from it. Don't allow it in your life. The trappings, uh, we, when we went through that series in Revelation, I mean, we talked about this over and over again, but the trappings of the pagan temples of those days were, they appealed to every carnal pleasure a man could desire. And he says, flee it. Just flee it. Don't even go there. And then he says in verse 15, I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. You're smart people, he says. Judge what I'm saying to you is true. And they knew it was. They knew it. No one went to that and said, I don't know, this might be okay. <laughs> no, not at all. The, the debauchery, once again, that went on there day after day after day, they knew that. And he says, I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. Today, we don't have that. But we could look at other places. I would encourage our younger folks that are here today, for those of you who are old enough, flee the bar scene. Flee it. Once again, it appeals to every carnal bit that we have. The music's appealing. The atmosphere invites all types of sin. Young ladies are wearing less and less clothing every year. There are there are other ways in life to find real friends, to find a date. Flee. Flee the scene. Don't go there. Flee the group that murmurs and tears down. Flee the group that lusts after more and more and more. You're wise. Judge what I'm saying. Is it true? And we know it is. And then Paul uses... An interesting switch here from verses 16 through 22. And now he uses the example of the Lord's Supper to show our need to realize our limitations. Let's go ahead and read those. The cup of blessing which we believe, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are, are not they which eat the sac of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils, and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Here's the verse. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? In these verses here, specifically in verses 16 through 18, the symbolism is when we take the Lord's Supper. We call it communion sometimes, different names there. But when we take the Lord's Supper, there is a communion. There is a union with the body of Christ. 
That's the symbolism of what is going on there. He doesn't actually become the blood and the body of Christ. It is a symbol of what is going on there. And just as verse 18, he then texts the Israelites and he says, just like, as we mentioned, we preached on this in Sunday mornings about the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Remember when a person would make that sacrifice, they would come and they would place their hand on the head of that. What were they doing? They were identifying with that sacrifice as they killed it. And then when they would take the meat from certain of the ones they were allowed to eat from, they symbolically identified with that animal and the sacrifice that was made. Now, if that's true, he tells us in verses 19 through 22, then the Corinthians, the Christians, that nonchalantly were taking food and drink that had been sacrificed to pagan idols or pagan gods, they were identifying themselves with the devils, uh, that he, the term that he uses there, that were being sacrificed to. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Is there any difference then when we spend our time? We don't have those types of sacrifices today. But is there any difference when we spend our time during the week linked and participating in the sin of our generation. Be it online, looking at things that we should not be part of. Connected to other groups that we should not be part of. And when we are participating in the sin of our generation, and then we want to come and worship the Lord, he tells us we cannot be doing both. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and basically the sin of this world. And then he says, verse 22, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? What's the answer? Yes. If you're doing that, yes. You're provoking the Lord to jealousy. We're asking for God's hand of chastisement on us. As his children, he will treat us like a child. As you correct your child or chastise your child, we are asking the Lord to do that in our life. And then he asks the second rhetorical question. Are we stronger than he? We know the answer to that as well. No. We are not stronger than the Lord. And if we are playing games with God, I don't know what you do the rest of your week. Wonderful people to love and serve with here. I don't know what's going on in your life behind closed doors. You and the Lord do. And if you're playing games with the Lord, he knows. Stop. We need to stop and repent of that. God knows you and you're not fooling him at any level. You're just fooling yourself. Realize your limitations. Set up boundaries. Know that God will not be mocked. The end of this chapter, verses 22 through 23 through 33, after realizing our limitations, he basically just tells them to realize your responsibility as well. We sort of went through the same thing in chapter 8. That was more dealing publicly. This is dealing privately with sacrifices that were made. Um, this is uh, knowing our limitations uh, and that it, the need, what it does to other people. 
You may have freedom, but you also have a responsibility toward others. In this church, as part of this church body, you have a responsibility toward those around you. You can cause them to fall. Imagine, imagine these, as extreme an example of this as you could, is to have these children up here and then to do uh, some sinful activity in front of them. Not even a sinful activity, but an activity that's close to the line, let's put it that way. That could cause that child that has a proclivity towards something to head in a direction that leads them away from the Lord, and you will be held responsible for that. God will hold us accountable for that. And he warns him over and over again. Verse 23, all things are lawful. Let's read that verse. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. This is a repeat from, I believe, chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. He says here, and yes, it was from chapter 6, verse 12. Some things... I have, they're lawful for me to do, but when I do them, they can cause me to go into some sort of bondage to that. It will hold me captive. It's not expedient for me to go after that in my life. And he also tells them that it might be something there as well that is not edifying to others. Something that is not building up of someone else. In chapter 8, Paul warned us that lawful things are not to be a stumbling block to someone else, to one of your brothers or sisters. A Christian that is actually mature, we think we're mature sometimes, but if we're really mature, we will be able to balance our freedom with the needs of others. Now, sometimes that's hard. You're like, why why can't I do this? There's no issue with this. But you know that person has an has trouble. They've had trouble with that in their past. And by you doing that, you're going to cause them to fall. And he sums it up in 23 through 30 using basically uh, what he says in Philippians. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, here it is, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's a good summary. Esteem others better than yourself. Look out for them. And then he says in verse 31, a verse that is taken out of context almost every time it's used, in this context, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. We cannot glorify God by causing everyone else or someone else to fall in their faith. So, whether you eat, drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul's declaration in verses 20, 32 through 33, he tells us there, Give none offense, neither to the Jew nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Strong Christian, weak Christian, the lost, help us to look to them, help us not to cause them to fall. So I could have probably summarized this sermon in this last, this last line. When you're about ready to do something in your life, 
And you got to wonder what it is. Here's a test for you. Ask yourself three questions. What I'm about to do, will this entangle me? Will this entangle me? Will this take me from the Lord? What I'm about to do, will it entangle me by taking me from the Lord? If so, don't do it. Will this cause another Christian to stumble? Don't do it. And will this cause a lost person to turn away from the Lord, hindering that opportunity to reach them for Christ? Once again, don't do it. Interesting chapter. Learn from the examples of others. And may we heed the examples that we've heard tonight. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for your word. Over and over again, you give us examples to, uh, to apply in our lives, to learn what to do, what not to do. And as we consider those around us, Heavenly Father, may we uh, use our freedoms responsibly. May we not be a stumbling block to others. May we not entangle ourselves. May we be a witness to those around us through the testimony you've allowed us to have. We thank you for this time together. Any that need to come to know Christ tonight, that you would draw them to you. If there are any as Christians that we've been playing games, that we would repent and return. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.